Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic and humanistic conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, get an interesting conversation for you to listen to. I'm your host, Adam Reeks, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast. So with us today, we have Jen, who goes by the Twitter handle at JL underscore Chadbourne. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm not bad yourself. Very well, thanks. And where are you based? Um, well, I am in Raymond, Maine, which is about an hour north of Portland right now. Is it expected to move? Is it? <laughs> I tell people I'm from Maine, and they always want to know exactly where <laughs> when I tell them that. So I'm like, okay, if you're in Portland, you go an hour north on Route 302. Okay, so for anyone who wants to track Jen down, off you go. <laughs> have a blast. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. We also have Michael, who goes by the Twitter handle at Zone Coverage of Three. That's the digit three. Michael, hello, and where are you from? I'm from the uh, Western Chicago suburbs. Sounds really cool. Western Chicago. It's not that cool. Was that a town named after a band? No, it's the other way around. Right, sorry, my mistake. Trap for young players. And uh, we have (laughs) Bill and Susie, who are both on a single interwebs connection. Turns out they're married. They go by the Twitter handles at Shaper079 and at S for Sam Beery, B-I-R-R-I. Hi, guys. Hi. Oh, good. Pleased to see you could make it. We're here. (laughs) All right. So... Are you guys familiar with each other and who you are? And no. Not at all. Not at all. First, okay, well, people I know the most about would be Bill and Susie. They do... Why, why don't you explain it, guys? We do a little podcast called Partner Atheist. We basically get drunk online. Yes. And uh, talk about God and, and why there isn't one. And we read the Bible. And we read the Bible. You're honest. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Susie, you're sort of a convert of sorts, aren't you? Recently, very recently. Um, Just over a year now. Yep. And did you get something for your anniversary from Bill? <laughs> no. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I, met... I went and got all the beers for one podcast. Right. I didn't make her go get me one. I didn't have to be a <laughs> so... beer bitch for anything. Sing it, sister. That's that's okay. magnanimous. I was gonna say you said that you read the Bi- that you guys read the Bible, and that's actually what kind of made me an atheist was reading the Bible. Oh, I don't doubt it. Because <laughs> um, that's, that's uh, the general I, I... consensus of a lot of atheists that I talk to is actually reading the Bible and reading yeah, it. Yeah, I, I was in the army and I was sent to Iraq in 2002 and my mom before I, I left she gave me this small little black bible had this little like latch on it or whatever and uh, I took it with me I wasn't a super believer or anything like that but at the same time I wasn't a non-believer but basically I one day just picked it up and started reading it and then I just treated it like it was a real book so I like I highlighted it and read the whole thing and when I got to the end I was like you got to be kidding me. <laughs> this is craziness. <laughs> when you read that book or were you not a believer? Well, see, I was ra- when I was raised as a kid, like God got brought up or whatever, but it wasn't like I didn't go to church every Sunday or anything like that, you know. It was like, you know, we said grace at Christmas and Easter and then that was the only time you heard God mentioned, you know. If somebody got married, you went to a church, but that was really it. I mean, they put me in the South, American South, and, you know, people are thumping the Bible every chance they get. One of the the biggest kind of like crack in my whole belief in all of it and, and anything was um we were in Kuwait getting ready to drive to Baghdad and we were on the border and we were sleeping in our trucks and the next morning we were pushing off to go drive to Baghdad and there was people who were the most Bible thumping people I knew who were saying I can't wait to go kill an Iraqi I can't <sighs> wait and I remember I'm looking at them 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you gotta be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, huh? Wait a minute. Yeah. You're the guy who gets mad because, you know, I'm out. And at the time, you know, I was, uh, I was around a bunch of young guys. They're the same people that would lecture a bunch of guys who went and drank too much, too many beers saying, you know, that's not the, the godly way. And let's yeah. say a prayer. And then this dude, you know, he's loading up his talking about, I can't wait to shoot an Iraqi. And we were like, I think that was like the the first major chink in the armor of me going. This something wrong. Like that's it's, wrong. And it, oh, but, so, go ahead. please forgive me. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's nothing new because when I, I went to Iraq toward the end of the war, um, uh-huh. I'm a, I was a technician when I was in the army. I, mostly, I just worked a help desk slash desk job mostly. Mm-hmm. And um, my roommate, who was who grew up in a very Christian household from Columbus, Georgia, was telling people that, oh, it, it's not a sin to kill the Iraqis because they're not Christians. Come and I'm, I'm cocking my head and I'm looking at her like, did that really just come out of your mouth? Really? Like, like we're, we're IT geeks. We're not even infantry guys or MPs, so we're not going to be... <laughs> Here's the funny thing. I am, in, anyway. I am, but they still made it. I was there in the beginning. I was there in 2003, January 3rd of 2003. I showed mm-hmm. up in Kuwait and I didn't leave until February of 2005. So I was yeah, gone. Were, the there, whole, I was were, there. Were, you, were you guys with CAF? I, I was at, um, Talil Air Base. Okay. I was in, um, right in Baghdad at the off wall water palace at a uh, camp victory. I know exactly where that is. Yeah, I, was, I spent my last month in Iraq there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we were there in O2. We were there in O2. If you actually go on Google Earth, you can see the trailer I used to live in. <laughs> Do you want to give us some coordinates? Just for anyone playing along at home? I don't, I don't I'm know going the coordinates to do this. Exactly. If you go to Google Maps and then look, go find where Iraq is, zoom in, find the airport, and then you can find the off-wall water palace. And if you're, if you're looking at the, if the water palace is straight north as the way you're looking at it, head southeast in a direct 90 degree angle, you're running into a trailer park. And I was like the fifth row down. We stayed in these nasty trailer parks. I'm Google mapping Camp Victory right now. Tell me- what yeah. are your thoughts on naming, anyway, naming something Camp Victory? Isn't that a bit presumptuous? Oh, yes. Especially, especially then, and then I remember I, I have a journal that I, the beginning you would see me starting to, like I actually started to question God and then all of a sudden as the end I'm like, you know, fuck this, this fucking war, this mother, you know, like you just see a, a rise from me at first being kind of like, you know, the whole, and I'm sure all of you guys have heard the whole, what I call a complete lie, the whole atheist in a foxhole. Like, I've hated that. <laughs> you, you'll never have an atheist in a foxhole. Bullshit. I've, I've got to ask this question. Uh, just just for those listening in, what is an atheist in a foxhole? Yeah, everybody in a foxhole is an atheist. I mean, yeah. if some God is protecting you, what are you doing outside the foxhole? You don't. If God's protecting you, fine. Give me your armor. You obviously don't need exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. It's funny. I don't know if you guys have had this. I don't. My parents, so I was raised very non-really religious. Then all of a sudden, as I start to moved into adulthood and start to question and push away and push away and push away, they're now, both of my parents turned 60 years old this year. They're now like really, really religious. And I told them that I was an atheist you know, like specifically, they had ideas based on the way I acted, what I said. But to come out and say, Mom and Dad, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in this stuff at all. We had that discussion probably last year. Like a straight, they had their inklings. They didn't really want to, they didn't talk about stuff with me, God stuff with me. They just kind of left me alone. When I had the discussion, they were like, how can you do that? God brought you home from Iraq. I was like, oh, 
The same god um, that hate that hates everybody else, so he killed them. What about they, the four thousand <laughs> that didn't get brought exactly. home? Exactly, brought home that, in boxes and bags and black baskets. Dad, that's a terrible reasoning. I, I got a C one thirty out of Iraq. <laughs> that was how I got out. What's a C one thirty? A C one thirty is a very large military aircraft. They're big enough to haul large vehicles. Right. I was sitting at home waiting on my husband to get home in that C one thirty. So. Aww. Guys. <laughs> Let's find out a bit more about Jen. You are at JL underscore Chadborn, C-H-A-D-B-O-R-N-E. That's uh, right. Na- name, rank, and serial number. <laughs> um, I was in the United States Army, um, actually until very recently. I got out this year, as a matter of fact, and I enlisted in the Army in 2009. And I spent the majority of my military career in Port Huachuca, Arizona, which is maybe about 20 minutes north. And within three weeks of arriving there, after I graduated my training, I turned in my transference orders to transfer to Arizona. You know, welcome to Fort Huachuca. Glad to have you. You know you're going to Iraq in three weeks, right? Uh. Wow. So I, and I don't even know these people, but somehow everybody magically knows that I'm getting on that plane, except for me. And like, and I thought it was a joke. I thought the guy was trolling me. I really did. So, no, like, no, this this isn't right. This is a mistake. <laughs> I entered the Army as a private and left as a specialist, which, you know, as far as terms of uh, name, rank, and serial number, private being the lowest, specialist being just below sergeant. So nothing terribly spectacular. I think it's pretty spectacular that you guys have done some of the stuff you've done. You've, you've been there. You've seen the worst of it. Bill and Susie, a little bit more about you guys. Where did you serve and did you meet on tour? Kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Was there a scandal? No, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> one of these Ew. days I'll break a scandal. I got, I, I got a scandal Met for you Hawaii. After, after they're done. Yeah, I, I knew her in Hawaii. <laughs> knew each other in Hawaii, but then um kind of went our separate right ways, and I stayed in, she got out. Yeah. And then we hooked up years later in California. Yeah. Ooh. And now you've got a family. Yeah, we have a blended family. I have a daughter from my previous marriage, and he has three sons from his previous marriage, and we... Just kind of put it together and said, hey, that's, that's great. That's got to be a really good one for that YouTube channel. The guy uh, does Will It Blend. Have you seen mm. those? Where he tries blending an, will, will an iPad 4 blend? It's not fit in Blender. I've tried. <laughs> I would have to get incredibly high to consider that entertaining. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, terrible, terrible. So you met sort of on tour, hooked up years later, and... um Whereabouts have you served and have you served together? Well, actually, um, when we met, we were in Hawaii and that was our last tour together and Bill stayed in the military. And then I went home to California after I got out and Bill, strangely enough, got stationed in California. And then we just ended up hooking up together in California. And then like together we went from California to South Carolina, South Carolina to Turkey, Turkey to New Jersey. And here we are. Yeah. Turkey to New Jersey. <laughs> it's not next door, is it? Yeah. Wasn't much different. <laughs> not <her>. actually. <laughs> okay, and Michael, you had some scandal for us. Yeah, we, well, we were there in the beginning, so when we showed up, there was it wasn't as, like, the, the Marines and the 4th Infantry had blown everything to pieces, and we were there after there was no more Iraq Army, so it was just nothing was there. We were there the bad year, the year that they just started flip Fallujah, and the time you were there too, you were there, Bill. All the, I mean, it was like the worst of the worst was that year. I deployed right after 9-11 to... To Kurdish- Iraq? Oh, no, to Kyrgyzstan. And it was up there, we set up, you might have heard of Manus Air Base. No. I was one of the first guys in... I don't in, think I have. Well, if you go in Afghanistan, you 
probably go through many. Actually, to be perfectly honest, I apologize, but I hated you Air Force guys. Were you in the Air Force? Yep. Because you guys went for three months and then would laugh at me when you left. And I yeah. was there for, I was there for 15 months, or just 14 and a half months, and I'd get a new Air Force guy, like every three months would come into our shop, and all of a sudden he'd show up, and he'd say something like, We'd have to retrain him the whole, like, bombs would go off, and we wouldn't flinch anymore, cause we had heard him too many times, he'd just kinda like keep walking, and he would be like, you know, underneath the table, like, should we run outside? She'd be like, no, no, it's fine, don't worry about it. And when I, kinda... when I was deployed, I noticed that too, is that there would be a klaxon alarm indicating incoming, and it could be on the other side of the base, but all the Air Force personnel are diving behind concrete barriers, <laughs> or hiding behind benches, and I'm smoking a cigarette, like, what? What is your problem? Well, it's all the way think, over there. Just, they're not really painting a good picture of you, Bill. I was in a, I was in a shortage career field. Oh. I, I, I was a contracting guy. I was the acquisition dude. Oh. And, ah. yeah, I got back from Manus. I was back, back, like four months. They said, you're not going again. So it was like six months at Manus, seven months there. And I, I went home and I'm like, good, I'm done. And they flipped me right around That's and sent me to no. Iraq. No. 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 <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> You're the last guy we're considering for this. I had a, on a previous show, somebody sent me a message and said, I, I'd really like you to read my eulogy. <laughs> I thought... Uh, I heard that he said, recently. <laughs> wow. He said, he said that'd, that'd be really cool to, to have that when I'm dead. And I said, well, why wait until you die if you want to have a laugh at it? Do it while you're still alive. Send me an email. So he did. <laughs> I read out all these really obscure place names that I wasn't even sure were real. Uh, tried to tried to brighten it up a bit. Got it out there. He seemed pretty happy with the response. He's uh he's ex military as well. Hey, Adam and AK yeah. is Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> ah, so I'm told. I did retweet that afterwards. <laughs> so what's Arkansas then? A R A R. I used to live there. I'm sorry to hear That's, that. Uh... <laughs> Fayetteville is nice. Anything 20 miles outside of Fayetteville is banjos and hills have eyes. There's a Fayetteville oh, wow. in Arkansas. Come on, I was in. Come on, mm-hmm. guys. I was in. I was in Texas, Fort Hood, Texas, Colleen, Texas, smack dab in the middle of Redneckistan. Wow, <laughs> it sounds like you guys are doing it tougher on home soil. <laughs> you, you go away to get shot at just for a break. No, you know, while I'm while I'm sitting at my parents' two floor beach house here in Maine, you know, tupping out a little bit of rain. Woe is me. So, guys, how did the locals view you in your respective fields and positions when you were uh, on deployment? Oh. Go with uh, Bill and Susie. Different for every place I went. I got to be honest with you. Going to Kyrgyzstan was the neatest deployment I had, as far as the locals go, because that's a former Soviet republic, and I. I'm going to date myself, but but I've been in the air. I had been in the Air Force since 1988. Those were the enemy. It's actually like you know I'm having lunch with guys who were in the Soviet Air Force, and we're hanging out, and we're swapping stories, and it's neat. In Iraq, the locals, ugh, I don't know, some are great, some creep me out. You never know who's up to what there. Exactly. And Susie, when I was actually in the Air Force, I didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> I pretty much the the most overseas deployment I had was to Hawaii. I didn't deploy. That's so. a rough one. Yeah, that was <laughs> That's where you turn up for work and they give you a drink and a coconut. With you gotta grandma. understand. They, they introduce you, <laughs> like, like, meet this guy and, and he's like career force like guy and you go, oh, he's really cool. And then you go like, hey, you know, I could get out of the Air Force and get all the cool benefits that, that come with being in the Air Force, but not actually have to deal with all the bullshit. That would be how I volunteered my What does that make you like service? a blue digger? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gold digger. Yes, it does. 
I am, I was You're a terrible. blue digger. Terrible. I decided that, that I would get out of the Air Force because me and the Air Force didn't, didn't quite see eye to eye. And then I met Bill and I was like, okay, I'll do the Air Force dependent. Yeah. And then we were living in sin and, and base housing for a while. And, yes. Yeah. That was a problem. Yes. You got to be a part of the FRG. Oh man. I got, I got called into the sheriff's office and the, with, and the commander because I had a woman living at my house. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, they, they I got told lectured me, on the morality of it. They actually oh, told right. me that I live there anymore. They, they kicked me out of base housing. See, cause, cause we were unmarried. Yeah. I was hit with hard times, you know, and I didn't have any place to go. So Bill said, you know, come here. I'll take care of you. And mm-hmm. he offered to take me in and he took me in and the Air Force said, Oh no, get rid of her. Did it? Yeah. yeah. So I was going to hit you up, Jen. What sort of locals did you interact with when you were over there? Did you meet any atheists? Some people know Wiccans, the, um, Earth-based neo-pagans have had kind of their own interesting love-hate relationship with the military over the course of a decade or so. So I did meet a few atheists, a few other non-believers here and there, but I guess at the time I was kind of, I had my own kind of cognitive dissonance going on, as in, I literally believe in fairies, and yet I'm over here in a war zone where people are dying. Now, I don't think it was the nature of my job within the military because I was in a communications job, in a technical job, that they would normally ask someone like me to go out on any sort of a patrol or go across the wire or over the wire, basically on the outside of the perimeter. You know, I would love to. But you didn't leave at all? You didn't have to, like, go on runs or pick up mail or do anything like that? I wanted to. But they wouldn't let me play with them. Well, the thing is, is that by the time I was deployed, there was already an exit strategy being played out. We were Uh, on our way out the door. We were just packing up our stuff and leaving. So there really wouldn't, it wouldn't have been necessary at that point. I, I was there for the absolute tail end of Operation Iraqi Freedom and then into OND. So it was... More like a fucked up vacation, really. Only no beach. So, I couldn't even drink. Yeah, that, see, that'd be the tough bit about being in the military, not being able to knock off from a long day of being near. Oh, we got killed. two beers. We got two beers on the Super Bowl. That's it. Yeah, and it's, it's out of control. Not- whatever you could, whatever you could hide. I had to drink Bud Light. It was awful. You, you, you said about the locals, and I've been kicked off twice, so I don't know if I missed the other conversation. I don't want to hog anybody's time if I do, but. I got to interact with the uh, with the Iraqis in Baghdad, which are mostly Beal, which is a far northern. Um, it's the autonomous area where the um, the Cur- where the Kurds are. We got to go up to Erbil, and I had to help. We had the first Korean rock division was up in Erbil. Why we sent the Koreans, or why the Koreans even came to Iraq to help out, I have no idea. But um, I had to go up there and help install uh, lines uh, so they could do video conferencing and computers and they could have all the same stuff that we had down in Baghdad. And I was in charge of the team that got sent up there. There was a special forces house that was in Erbil. They were kind of like there. And that's who we had to stop there first to talk to them. And they said, let's go get a haircut. And I was terrified. I'm like, get a haircut. I'm like, are you kidding me? Nobody walks the streets in Baghdad without like a, you know, a tank with you or something. And they're like, oh no, up here, it's, it's cool. They like us. It's okay. So we walked around and I went with the special forces guys because I felt like I was with these super tough guys. So I'd be safe. And I went and got a haircut. And it was like the best haircut I ever got. And I only paid like $3. And, um, <laughs> and then we went to like the equivalent of a 7-Eleven. And it was stacked with liquor. And I said, wait a minute. I thought that they're Muslims and they don't drink. And he goes, they're not Muslims. They're Christians up here. They get drunk all the time. It's totally cool. <laughs> and I was like, oh, 
So this is like, so that's why they like us? He goes, oh yeah, they think all Americans are Christians. And that's kind of like the time when I was already made my decision. I'm like, really? Yep, that's exactly, you better believe it. No problem. I'm not getting into that discussion with these people. But hmm. those, those were my two. And then you asked, is there any non-believers? Um, a British captain was the only person I had ever met in my life up to that point who openly said he was an atheist and didn't freak out about it when everybody went, oh, you are? <laughs> and in talking to him, it kind of gave me, like I said, it was a transition period that whole year. Speaking to that British friend, he's still my friend to this day. He just had a kid. We send emails occasionally. He's in the British Air Force. But he sat behind me and he, I was asking questions to different people, the chaplain. I even went and talked to this crazy chaplain who was like, oh, the Lord is there, da, 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 da. And I'm like, was the Lord there for those guys that got killed yesterday? Well, you can't understand the way the Lord thinks. Anyways, I had this <laughs> captain who cut through the bullshit and said, 60% of England doesn't believe in it. And I'm like, 60%? It was, I was ignorant to, to the fact or even having an idea like that. Wow. Yeah. And Aussies were there too, and they were super cool, and they taught me all about uh, Australian rules football and rugby. Ugh. Well, my opinion on that sort of stuff is I just can't understand why 24 grown rapists would want to collide with each other in a paddock, jump in a cab, get absolutely smashed, and go home and punch up their girlfriends. It seems to be... Okay, I thought we were still talking about the army. <laughs> well, there's been a lot of that going on as well. I mean, did you did you guys always feel safe yes. where you were? Oh, hell no. Really, Jen? I'm going to be completely honest. Of course not. There were times where, you know, when you join, being a female soldier in the army, at least, I can't speak for the Air Force, and I can't speak for all female soldiers. I can only really speak for my own personal experience. Literally from day one in basic training, they drill in your head, you know, sexual harassment is not okay, sexual assault is clearly not okay, there are rules against this, but they don't give a shit. They tell you it's against the rules, but they don't give a shit. And so what I would do if I had to go somewhere downrange is I would find a friend to come with me. You know, safety in numbers. Um, I believe in the American military, the term is battle buddy. It, it yeah. sounds kind of pokey, but yeah, you, you know, safety in numbers, you have, you go out as a group and, you know, it's kind of fun to go out with friends anyway and it keeps your morale up, but there, there is safety in numbers. But of course, uh, shit does happen. We're, we're seeing it, I'm seeing it constantly on the news here in the United States. There are senators that are getting involved in trying to put tougher rules on prosecuting sex crimes within the entirety of the military. And good, I can't believe it took them this long. Okay. Um, the one thing I have to say to that is, and, and I agree with you, any type of violence against women, I'm completely against that. I'm not endorsing that. But I think sometimes when I hear senators getting involved, they're a little hypocritical. The rules were lowered to go fight these wars, and they let anybody in in the last probably decade. They let – it used to be – when I joined in 1997 was when I first joined, and I got out in 2005. In 1997, you had to have a high school – they only let in like 0.3% who didn't have a high school diploma. You couldn't have tattoos on your neck. You couldn't have any of this. From 2001 to I, the day I got out, I saw all kinds of things that were allowed. They let killers in. They let people who were out of their mind in because they needed the bodies. They needed people. And then they take those people, put them, let them loose in two how many years now. And then when they come back to the States and they self-destruct and they act crazy or they do stupid things or they have violence against women. And now Senator wants to get up and talk about 
Why is this happening in our military? Because you made crazy people more crazy and then let them loose in a society. And I agree not, with you completely. And I've seen not I've justifying seen that their actions too. I'm not justifying their actions, but my point is, what did you think would happen? Where was this <laughs> senator talking prior to sending? Like there was a, there was a guy that was in my unit. He was 20 years old. He turned 20 when we were in Iraq. He had joined the army in 2000, right after 9-11. He finished basic training and got sent to the invasion of Iraq through with, um, Fort Stewart, Georgia. He got, he left Fort Stewart, Georgia. They gave him his orders. His orders were to go to Fort Hood. The rule was you couldn't go back to back, but he left and went from one unit to another. So he had been in the army a total of 36 months. In 30 months, he had been at war. What type of adjusted human being is he going to be when from 19 or from 18 and a half to 36 months, he was in a war zone environment? Like, he's not going to be normal. And, and that's the thing that makes me so mad when we talk about the war. And a lot of times they come back and it's like, what do you think? You can't take people and subject them to all this stuff and think they're going to come out just like, yeah, you know, everything's and then great. And then they're wondering why they're coming back and... They're killing themselves. Soldiers are exactly. still more likely to die by their own hands than they are by an enemy's yeah. weapon. And they're yeah. wondering why that's such a problem. Like, no, people are coming back with very serious issues. They're hurting themselves. They're hurting their families, their wives, husbands, boyfriends, what have you. And mm-hmm. they can't seem to figure out why. And yet when they ask for help, Hello. they kick them out. Yeah, so... Bill and Susie, in the time you guys served, and I'll go, just go around the table, did you see an improvement? Because you guys have spent a fair whack of time in these war zones and you've seen sort of your own beginning, middle and end there. Did you see an improvement? Improvement in what respect? Did you leave the place in a better condition than when you, than what you found it? I think so. Yeah. yeah? I think so. Um, I think Bill said a lot of stuff about, because I always asked him, I, I said, I said, what was it like being over there? And he said, well, you didn't really know the people. Nobody really knew the people. You know? And I think that when they left, they left the people in a much better state than they were when they started. Well, are you familiar with the Global uh, Secular Humanist Network? Uh, Faisal, what's his last name? Huh? Anyway, I'll send you his card. But uh, I met him at the Atheist Convention in Austin. Now, the young man is an Iraqi citizen who has just immigrated to the United States in March of this past year. And he came up to me because he saw my veteran tag on my conference name tag. And he said, were you in Iraq? And I said, yeah. He says, I'm from there. I grew up there. So I asked him the very question you're asking me, and he said yes. So, yeah, I think we left it a little better place. I don't know if we left it a great place. An improvement. That's good news. Because, really, I don't know. And there's so much bias in the media. You often only hear the, the most emotive content, the most emotional material makes it to the news. What about you, Jen? Toward the end of it, as I said, when I got there, there was already, you know, it was already over. We were just basically picking up our things and leaving. Where I was at, um, I bounced around a lot between two bases for the majority of my deployment. One very small place called Fog Warworth, and it's called Joint Base Balad, which is actually um, joint operations between the Army and the Air Force. And Balad used to be an Iraqi airfield. It was an airport. It was an Iraqi Air Force base, basically. And when we first overran it, we destroyed the airfields, took it over. But over the course of several years, we there were people, there were operations working with the community, literally right across the fence from us. 
there's a small town right across the fence. And we would, you know, bring families in with children and have games for them. You know, they were sending people over there as doctors and as part-time teachers. And I think it kind of depends on where you were. Because perhaps the area outside of Joint Base Balad, as far as I could tell, there were some significant improvements. You know, it's it's a fully functioning town and city with streetlights and plumbing and everything. But outside of Warhorse, I honestly can't say. You know, I'm I'm standing on one side of the fence and I'm only looking across. They wouldn't really let me go anywhere. <laughs> but anecdotally, you would say yes. I w- maybe I'm just a bit optimistic. I would like to think that some good came out of this for the Iraqis. But maybe I'm also just cynical in that you know there's always going to be violence in the Middle East. I, that's my personal opinion. Michael, when I left was the peak of the sectarian violence when they were having the civil war, basically. So when we got there. That wasn't going on, but when we left, they were tearing each other apart. I mean, it was really bad when we left. So, for my stay there, no. Now, fast forward to today, possibly. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Like, it was, you know, they, they would cheer us, but then, you know, there was a lot of internal, like, it's the same thing with any country, except for everybody there has an AK-47, so it gets handled a little bit differently. You know, if you don't like the way you voted, I just go get my boys and I meet you down in the corner. I mean, that's what it seemed like. I remember the day they um, actually brought one of those home, uh, their voting uh, card or whatever, and they had to put their thumb on it. It was a big deal, but we had to guard every every place that they um, voted. And then, you know, there was still people trying to blow people up. So I would say, for my situation, no. It was worse when we were looking at it in the bigger picture. It got better, got better later. Yeah. Yeah. The bigger picture? Yeah. Saddam was a terrible guy. I mean, he, you know, he was not a good person. He was running that place, you know, like a crazy person does. You know, their infrastructure is still messed mm. up, but. Well, it's hopefully getting better and better by the day to a point where they can. It is. Begin sustaining themselves. But how do you guys think the atheism. Right, some of that, like, I understand that that's a very religious... That gets in the way, like, a lot. Like, if they could get that, like, you know... I mean, I think it gets in the way in America, too, but it's at least uh, not so dominant. My husband and I watched very recently, there was a... Uh, the BBC put this out. There was a, a man from the UK whose son was killed in the Iraq conflict. And he took a trip to Iraq, to where the base used to be. The base where his own son was killed, and he's talking to, with a translator, to all these local Iraqis, and saying, well, you know, all these waterways that were built, aren't you getting any sort of a benefit from that? You know, my, my son's team helped build that. And sheiks and warlords move in, and they claim it as territory, and so, like, oh, here's this, or I can exert power over the people by charging them for it, or they need my permission to use. So, it's kind of a kick in the balls to see all of your hard work just go to pot, so to speak. As in, like, hey, look what we did for the, oh, yeah, now look what they're doing to it. Wonderful. Awesome. They're still looking for ways to fuck each other over. And that might not necessarily be the same all around. I mean, for from what I could see of the area outside of where I was, the first time around in uh, Joint Base Balad, things actually looked like they had improved with real streetlights and roads and relatively safe, but it could just be that area, you know? The thing about a place like Iraq is that it's not just this small, isolated country. There are whole cultures and, and roots and, uh, and tribes that live there, and they're all going to do their own thing is the really hard part to say, well, are things better overall when you've got all these people who are saying define better, you know? Guys, 
get out your imagination hats just for a minute. How would how would some of these things have played out if there were more atheists involved? Bill and Susie. I didn't find Iraq that religious because, you know, a couple of years prior to that, I had spent half a year in Saudi. <laughs> and let me tell you, you don't get more religious than Riyadh. Well, maybe Mecca, but we weren't allowed to go there. I don't know that it played out that differently. Saddam Hussein was not a religious leader as far as Iraq goes. He just wasn't. We probably wouldn't have been in there because the towers wouldn't have fell. That was a religious attack. But Saddam Hussein wasn't a religious guy. I mean, No, but when he, he left, that's when all the religion popped up. Right. Yeah, so, you know, do we... I mean, I know we did a good thing because he was a bad guy. But, yeah, he, he kind of kept it in check. He was... He's exactly. a terrible guy, and I know that because I've seen Hot Shots too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, if there was more atheists, th- th- and this is kind of a whole thing about Muslims, if they, and I'm not trying to bash Islam, like, other than it's very kind of crazy, but we would have to guard these guys that would come on the, on the camp, and like they would do work. Like They would either fill sandbags, or they would build a paint something, or build a building, or whatever. They were basically laborers for the day. And they would come in in the morning, and if you were on, you had to rotate every couple of days. You got stuck on this, and I, I was a at the time I was a sergeant, so I'd be in charge of this. And the guys would have to like pat them down, and then you get put in charge of little groups, and you'd have to watch them as they work. Well, when you pray five times a day, and you have before you pray five times a day, you have to wash your hands and wash your feet before you pray. So it's thirty minutes before you pray, and you pray for like twenty five, thirty minutes. Then afterwards, you have to have tea. I mean, shit, that's an hour and a half. That's five, almost seven hours of the day just getting ready and praying. You don't get shit done. It takes you forever to get anything done. So if they could get rid of that and have more atheists in there, they could probably do a lot more stuff. If there was an oil to make money in the Middle East, I don't know if they'd ever get anything done. Interesting to hear you firsthand. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, has anybody got anything they'd like to plug or something really important that they'd like to touch upon? Jen? I've already mentioned... Um, a subject near and dear to my heart, having been deployed, the issue with the American military's grossly inappropriate, in my opinion, um, lack of handling on sexual assault and harassment cases within the military. It's very interesting to watch, now that I'm out, actually, to sit back and watch the direction that this is taking, because I'm, I'm sitting back and I'm watching uh, Senator Gillibrand and other groups and interests say their piece, saying, no, this isn't enough. No, we need to take stricter measures, and I, I just, I want to just shout at these people. But if you ask, when you ask the question to put my <laughs> imagination hat on, so to speak, if things would be better if there were more atheists in the military, yeah, actually, I think, A, we wouldn't have been in Iraq in the first place, B, that, I, I'm in a, com- I was in a communications unit that didn't seem to communicate at all, and I think if you have a, an organization where there are like-minded but honest people, you're better at doing your job. And when you're better at doing your job, the job actually gets done. So I think if there were more non-believers or more critical thinkers at the absolute least doing this job, not only would the job get done, but nobody would get hurt doing it. I mean, if you need to be trained that it is not okay to hurt someone wearing the same uniform that you are, you shouldn't be in the Army. As, as I said, this is this is kind of close to my All heart. Right. Well, how could people help or read up more about it? Where would you go? Uh, That's just it. There's just so many people that are just now coming out for the military and how they handle things. Is that um, there are some people who are making a case that if a, a soldier harms another soldier, maybe a commanding officer shouldn't be the one to handle it. Maybe there needs to be some sort of an internal committee or another 
organization that steps in and says, no, we will investigate this and take this from here. Because, you know, there there are some commanding officers that don't think this is a problem. There are some people that you can look them dead in the face and tell them this person tried to hurt me and they will not do anything. I had a debate with somebody on this on Twitter recently and I don't think I communicated my point clearly enough because we were talking about in what circumstance should you believe somebody has been a victim where the line is drawn between say writing a blog post and putting it up and saying this happened to Mm -hmm. me and whether or not you should go to the police and file a report and do everything through the books. It's a tough topic because A, I'm, I'm not really in the percentile of people who are likely to become victims in the way you describe but it's something well it does happen to men too is the thing Mm. a lot of people when they talk about military sexual assault they think about women but it does happen to men too they are just less likely to report it so what's the solution traditionally a commanding officer has been designated the appropriate position to handle such investigations and given my experience this should absolutely not be the case i mean whether they want to do the right thing and just can't or whether they honestly don't give a shit <laughs> well if it reflects badly Some of them on their really record are... then oh, of course they're compelled it does. i mean they have very little to lose just by brushing it under the covers but there's also the aspect that some of these are some of these people are ROTC graduates who you know went to college on the army's dime to get a degree they're not really trained to handle that sort of thing. I think that it should be it should be somebody else's job because they they want it they say if something happens report it. We need to handle it. We need to take care of it. But when you do that, when you do exactly that and nothing gets done, you're squealing your tires. Who do you go to? You if you've been in a situation where you've already gone to your chain of command and nothing is happening, no one's following up with you, and nothing's happening, you go to the MPs, nothing seems to be happening, where do you go? Well, unfortunately, I don't have the answers for that. <laughs> wish <Yeah>. I did. <laughs> I wish I did. Okay, Michael, have you got any final thoughts? Um, no, I want to thank you for letting me on. I, I followed you since the beginning when I, I listened to your, all your podcasts and following you on Twitter. I do think that, um, although I am an atheist, I don't think that's my main focus on Twitter or my blog. You know, I, I don't exclusively tweet or blog about uh, atheism, but uh, I do follow a lot of you guys on, on uh, Twitter. And uh, about I'm zone coverage of three, because I have three kids and there's only me and my wife, so we can't play man-to-man. We play zone coverage because we're always outnumbered. <laughs> I usually just kind of blog about, you know, life. Uh, one of the best podcasts you ever had was the, um, the parenting, uh, Atheist Parent, deal with that. I get a lot and, of, um, I get a lot of people commenting on that. And it's sort of the, the one yeah. that I paid the least amount of attention to because it has so little to do and with you, me. <laughs> you said you didn't have, yeah, you kept saying, you know, you don't have any kids and you're not, how do you do this? And it's one of those things that it drew me in, like, oh man, because that has been, it's almost, I would say, in the beginning, and you've helped just by hearing other people talk about this. This isn't necessarily not a mainstream thing. I, I want to thank, you know, like Ricky Gervais. He's in everybody's homes and then all of a sudden he comes out and says and, and he said it for a long time, but it put a face to atheism that, look, I'm an okay person. I'm not bad. I'm still funny. You still laugh at my jokes. You still like me. Yeah. But I believe this way. And I don't think there was that before. I don't, I don't think that that was as mainstream, this idea of that. And if it was, I just maybe I wasn't paying attention. 
Yeah, well, everyone's got their own sort of different brand of atheism, and I'm I'm aiming for something that's quite neutral. And for that reason, yeah, I, I don't too. have the word atheist in my podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is very good. Yeah. So, it, and I think sometimes some of the guys on Twitter, though, I think it almost gets maybe they're getting a little dogmatic as well. They're like bashing in the head this you know atheist, atheist, atheist. It's like, dude, calm down. You have to be doing something else in your life. Something. <laughs> and you do you add you add humor like a lot of times. You add humor, and you just crack me up with your you know, your jokes that I see on Twitter. Oh, I'm pleased so. to see someone's getting a giggle out of it. That's <laughs> Thank you very much. And if we were to track down your blog, how would we go about that? Uh, it's just a zone coverage of three at blogspot.com. That sounds it's, like an email address. Oh, okay. So zone coverage three dot blogspot.com. Yeah, dot blogspot.com. Gotcha. All right. And Bill and Susie, have you got any final thoughts you'd like to chuck in? I would like to shamelessly blog my podcast please do say please listen to barroom atheist we're on itunes and stitcher and podbean and we have a facebook page barroom atheist or use the google machine yeah that works too (laughs) please like us yes type something into the electric interwebs (laughs) the internet (laughs) and uh bill and Susie, i actually found out about your podcast because you had Gamma Atheist on episode six. And I keep raving about it. That episode six, that, that really captured my imagination in terms of what you can do with philosophy and entertainment. I think that was so cool. So go go and check out the Barroom Atheists. And we're recording 11 tomorrow. It's going to be a rather angry episode, but um, we have a faith healing issue here in Philadelphia. Right. Uh, we, had a, we got a couple, and they just decided... That yes, they're going to be charged with murder because their second Good. child has died. I, I, know what you're ta- I heard about that. There's people. As did I. Mm. Yeah, that's local to us. I mean, that's yeah, that's here. That's so, us. So we're hitting that. We're hitting that on our next episode. So yeah, it'll be. A little, I don't know if it'll be as much fun, but you know, sometimes there's a time to get drunk and angry, and that's <laughs> too. And also, we're, we're doing the, the Joshua so kind of fits in baby killing, baby killing. <laughs> They're still at it. That's the theme. I don't know what Josh was about. I'm about to learn. Real quick before you guys jump, or before you close down, when you said about the faith healing and stuff like that, somebody, it made me think of this when, um, people, especially Christians, like to run out and say, like, well, you know, God's all in the Constitution and all this, and, and, and put your hand on a Bible before you, you know, go to court and everything, and I thought, how come no one can claim, well, God told me to do it, and that not be a legitimate defense? Uh- well, wait a minute. Because I think they're crazy. Actually, exactly. and I'm going to cover I'm going to cover this when I record tomorrow. But in Pennsylvania, you can. What? Not not to murder. Has anybody ever got? Why not? In 35 oh. states, cannot be charged with child abuse for religious reasons. There's a whole statute. Get me? Thing. Oh my. These people God. who these people who killed their kids until the child died, they hadn't committed a crime. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Gamma Atheist raises the topic of selective rules. So a different set of rules can be applied to a religious child care centre that can right, be exactly. applied to a state-run child care centre. So, well, there's a, exa- for, for example, you don't need to use... What, what's a good example? Some states you don't need a licence to run a religious child care centre. There's no inspections. And then that turns into sort of Castro's basement. Well, it can. I mean, they, they could also be running a fine daycare centre and there's no problem. Mm. But the problem is nobody knows. There's no oversight. Well, the NSA so those... keeps an eye on things, don't they? Yeah. Exactly. No, no. And also, if, it, 
I'm not 100% certain, but I think that if they're running it as a religious daycare, if it's part of a church, they could be operating as part of the church, so any income that they're earning, they don't have to pay taxes on either. So it's more profitable to be a religious childcare center. Depending on what state you live in. I get so angry about, there's a street by my house, there's a giant mega church, super mega mega church, and they hire off-duty sheriff deputies to be the traffic control on Sundays because they have so many people that go to this church. Are there no private security firms? Wait. Well, they can pay, they can pay these guys on their off duty. The problem is they're in the uniform provided by our tax dollars that buys huh? that uniform and all that stuff. And I have asked questions, I've sent emails, and I've gotten their off duty. They're allowed to make extra money by providing security. Right. But when you put sheriff on your vest and you stick your hand up and stop me from driving on the street, it makes me think that I have to obey you because you're a sheriff. But when you're doing it to allow people to leave church because the church is located in a spot where there isn't a traffic light, why should they be allowed to impede me? That has been a thing I have fought with. I wrote a paper about it when I was going to college about taxes and church isn't the economy is bad. You know what I always say? No, it's not. Because if it was really bad, we tax churches. Exactly. We tax churches. We would pay for a lot of things. Now, I think that's a whole other show there. It is a whole other. I'd love to be on it. I wrote a paper about it for school. I have a whole thing about how churches, we could get out of, not get out of debt, but we could do a whole lot more if we could just tax churches. Absolutely. So thank you guys. Uh, we've had Jen, who's at JL underscore Chad Bourne. We've had Michael, who is at Zone Coverage of 3, and Bill and Susie, who are at Shaper079 and at Sbury. Guys, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. We'll uh, no doubt speak with you. Good afternoon, beer fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be tough up here on stage, and then I realised how excruciating it's going to be for you guys for the next five minutes. In fact, someone said to me just before we came on, the two hardest things you can do professionally are stand-up comedy and prostitution. So if it goes as badly today as I expect it will, at least I've still got something to make the ladies give. Anyone here on Facebook? No? That deafening silence? You're all on Facebook, don't mind. But please check in and make me look more popular. What are your policies when you add somebody on Facebook? Because mine are pretty simple. Your profile pic should be of you, and only you. Not your fully sick Holden Commodore. Not, not you with a hotter friend. That's cheating. And categorically, not a photo of your child, unborn or otherwise. I don't want to be friends. I want to be friends with you. I want to be friends with your child. I could be friends with your child, but that's a bit Catholic Church for my <laughs> The worst though is the is the, the the radar scan of the partially incubated small person on the inside. What? No one needs to see that. If I put up a photo, there's my profile pic of something that I've manufactured internally. <laughs> it's illegal. It's unnecessary. Keep it off the picture. Oh dear, I've given up all hope on any meaningful real life relationships, so I've been dating online and collecting cats. 
And when you've got, to, you've got to pick your name when you sign up for your profile, and I, I had a few suggestions that SpongeBob No Pants, <laughs> Chip Magnet 82, or my favourite suggestion was uh, Stealth Gerbil. <laughs> I, I went with uh, Astro Boy Haircut because it does exactly what it says on the tin. The ladies are the funny ones, though, that, that when they pick their names online, they've always got to have an adjective about how attractive they are or how hot they are. So they're all like stunning Bondi babe or, or you know, cute Kiwi traveller chick. I can see your photo. Why do you let me be the judge of how hot you are? Because clearly you're getting it wrong. You should be Western Suburbs Slapper or Sutherland Shire Limping Swap Donkey. I say that because my cousin's just arrived. <laughs> um, no, but it, it's all actually going quite well. I did get a speed dating. Uh, met a young lady online. Hey, hey. Went back to her place, subjected her to some speed lovemaking. Uh, while she wasn't particularly receptive to it, her roommate in the bunk above us thanked me for a good night's rest. <laughs> I saw a profile, because you go through all the profiles and you're like you. Her name was Charlotte underscore 69. And I thought, you ripper! Hey? I went out for a coffee with her. Turns out people lie on the internet. She wasn't 69 years old at all. She was 25 and hot! So I chose not to sleep with her. Let me ask you a baffling question. If you met a girl online and her name was lonelygirl underscore zero three seven, would you go on a date with her if you knew that there were 36 other lonelier girls before her? <laughs> I'm no cute. Uh, now you're all sitting there wondering how such a dashingly handsome gentleman could possibly still be single. So let me give you a few tips on how I do it. <laughs> Never go out on a date with a girl who has a black and white profile pic because she's certain to be fluorescent orange in real life. <laughs> I, have, I have a real job. I have to go around all the little country towns around New South Wales and, and you hear the big radio personalities. And they, they sound like, uh, give us a call and have a bigoted opinion about something that's not really important like uh, your broadband speed and the relationship you have with your provider. <laughs> and my favourite is my local radio station. He sounds like, uh, like, this is Graham Knight on the Graham Knight Morning Show. This is Graham Knight Swap Time. Give us a call, buy swap or sell something. And it's an opportunity for all the, the Bogans and Misfits to, to come out of hiding. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, hello, Graham. <laughs> I'd like to swap a microwave with no door. <laughs> for a fridge with three legs. <laughs> and Paul Boat calls up and goes, uh, Graham goes, go ahead, Paula, you're live on the air. <laughs> hello, Graham? Hello? <laughs> hello? Yes, Paula, we can hear you loud and clear. What would you like to buy, swap or sell? Uh, yes, I've got a set of those tire chains that go on your motor vehicle to get through the snow and I don't know where I got them from or, or why I have them but I don't want them and I'd like to sell them for $70 or $75. Back to 
that I'm prepared to exchange them for four budgerigars. It's my dream. We call up, put the old man voice on again. Yes, hello, Graham. I've got a brand new 42-inch full high-definition plasma display panel, and I'd like to swap it for some nookie with no wife. <laughs> Or, or even better, your wife. Is this partner swap time? So, <laughs> ah, look, guys, I'd just like to finish up with a little bit of audience participation. So, if there are any ridiculously good looking women who would like to sleep with me, I'll be drunk at the bar in about 15 minutes. I've been Graham Light. <laughs> I'm Adam Reese. Thanks for coming. Thank you for listening to the Herd Mentality podcast and putting up with some terrible audio quality. Please take two minutes to visit herdmentalitypodcast.com and chip in $2 a month to help support the show. You'll find it under the support tab. While you're there, check out the gallery of pictures that at Dominic VFX has put together that shows proof that I've spent time with Deepak and Ray Comfort. Deepak Comfort Masters of the get a giggle out of that i'd love you to leave a few bucks in dominic's tip jar to support him and all the work he does designing and maintaining the website until next time herd mentalists take care